Hello, and welcome to the Nick Plus One podcast, where I sit down with industry leaders to discuss the project to product movement. I'm Mick Kirsten, founder and CEO of Tastop and best-selling author of Project to Product to survive and thrive in the age of digital disruption and the flow framework. I'm so excited to be joined by two incredible leaders, Maya Liebman and Ross Clanton. Maya is the Executive Vice President and Chief Information Officer at American Airlines. She is responsible for all technology efforts, including software development, infrastructure, operations, and security, and also leads the organization's next generation strategic initiatives, including transition to the cloud, advanced analytics, machine learning, and the advancement of DevOps tools and principles. Ross Clanton is Chief Architect, Managing Director at American Airlines and leads overall delivery transformation, technology strategy, and innovation, as well as core infrastructure that powers the airline. Ross and I have collaborated for years now on defining the principles driving successful moves from project to product, and he's one of the most experienced technology executives on mapping that journey. Together, they are forced to be reckoned with, and I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did recording it. So with that, let's get started. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Project to Pride podcast. I'm here with Maya Liebman, EVP and CIO of American Airlines, as well as Ross Clanton, longtime colleague and friend and chief architect of technology transformation at American Airlines. So welcome, Maya. Welcome, Ross. Great to have you. Uh, Thank you for having us. Super happy to be here, Mick. So I personally, uh, at DevOps Enterprise Summit this year, the virtual event, the virtual Vegas event, I, I just absolutely loved your talk. I watched it. I rewatched it. I sent it around to a number of people. Uh, I just noticed today that it is the number one viewed talk on the IT Revolution portal from that conference. So I clearly wasn't the only one. So I'm just thrilled to have you here today. And I'd love for you to just dig into some of the key topics that you went over in that talk, your, your, the learnings of your transformation, uh, the, the point that you got to and, and how you got here. And I think you've been you know, trailblazing on this front. A lot of organizations are looking to you and looking to en- emulate a lot of what you've done. So I'd just love for you to tell some of your story around this, the shift for, to product, uh, to digital innovation, to how you brought finance on board. I think that's a key part of the story. So why don't we start with maybe you, Maya, and if you could tell us a bit about the, how this journey started, how you got personally involved and, and uh, how you got here. Sure, and, and thank you for the nice comments about the talk. Uh, you know, I'd gone to the DevOps Enterprise Summit about, you know, five years ago or something. And, you know, I saw the keynote speakers and I thought, you know what, we're going to do that one day. We're going to have done enough good things that we're going to have a great story to tell. But we were nowhere close then. So it was more aspirational. And really, it was born out of the fact that IT at American was often the long tentpole in a lot of our initiatives, you know, like the business, our business colleagues would want to do something really cool and innovative. And they'd say, oh, but we can't do it because it's going to take IT six months or nine months or something to deliver that. That was really frustrating for me. Um, I had come from the business. I'm not a hardcore technologist. And, you know, I really appreciate what technology can do for the business. And so I wanted us to never be the long temple again. And that is really what started us on the journey. Was born around the same time I started seeing other people talk like Ross and Gene and you and other folks and really seeing that there was an alternative way of doing things that that could allow us to deliver value faster. And that's been our mantra ever since. 
Okay, excellent. And Ross, I think your journey, I know a lot of your work at Target was inspirational to me. We collaborated on some DevOps and Summit white papers on, on the shift from project to product. If you could just give us a, a bit of your background, how you ended up here, you know, maybe a little bit of actually you know, what you learned at Target, because I think a, a lot of, uh, of thought leaders followed that work and, and learned from it, including myself. So if you could give us a, a bit of context on that front, that'd be great. You know, at this point, I... The last eight years of my career, I think I've been focused on this space now. And the last few years at Target, I kind of had been all over the technology organization, but ultimately spent my last few years there leading technology transformation, which started largely as a DevOps focus. And then over time, it kind of grew into bringing Agile into the fold. And then we started to tackle product. And when we were tackling product, it was pretty obvious there there wasn't a lot of patterns out there for large enterprises yet on how they were doing it. And so we were able to set some patterns, I think, and and it's been really cool that that other companies in the industry have been pursuing that path and adopting those things. Shortly after I left Target in 2016, I think American Airlines started collaborating with Target a lot. And I know a lot of my counterparts here now were, were doing trips up there and Kind of spending time learning the approaches they had done there. You know, I went off to Verizon for a few years, played a similar role there, and um, was kind of reflecting on what did I want to do with my career here about a year ago. Do I want to keep being a transformation guy and continue to go down that path? It's something I have a lot of passion around. You know, Maya and I have been had been talking for the better part of a year. She had me in to speak actually in early 2019 before I worked here. Me and Jez Humble actually were the two external speakers she brought in for an internal DevOps conference they had run. And so I met her and the leadership team here. And it was just, it was cool to see how leaned in leaders were to actually sponsoring the change. And, you know, I had a lot of side conversations with both her and some of her direct reports that day where it, it was pretty obvious to me how committed leadership here was to change. And that they're really trying to figure it out. And that resonated with me a lot. So, you know, as I was thinking about what was next for my career, that that kind of sat with me. And I, as Maya and I started talking about a role, we landed on something that made a lot of sense and I moved down to Texas. So I've been here really since the beginning of 2020, obviously through a lot of change and a, lot, a, a year of a pandemic is a tough year for an airline. I've loved it here and really excited to be here helping lead and drive this transformation journey forward and for us to be able to contribute to the direction this stuff even goes in the industry as well. I think we're we're innovating and trying different approaches to make these things work well in an airline. Okay, excellent. And I, I just do want to send some appreciation. I know when I've talked to Gene and, and to others, the fact that you know you have been and the both of you actually communicating on your journey, participating in the thought leadership of the community and, and sharing your learnings is, is just invaluable. And it's great to hear that some of that germinated from your work at, at Target and and American Airlines and, and Target actually connecting on those things. So yeah, thank you for being here. And yeah, thank you for prioritizing this, right? I think this is this is how we all get better together. So it's great to see you taking such a, a, a key role in the in the in this what Gene calls the seniors that, that he has created. So, <laughs> yeah. so Maya, I think you said such a key thing to me that that you know the fact that IT being the long pole and the bottleneck is you've got all of these business strategies, these business initiatives, and then you know, so often they in so many organizations, the frustration is, well, if we, you know, if we could just execute, if we could just execute on the on the digital side, on the software side, on the IT side. So with that context, I think, and and I, Rossi said something so key as well, right? Is that the thing that, and I remember when you were actually contemplating your next move in your career, how important you thought leadership leaning in was. 
And so often I've seen leadership leading into digital transformation because you know, the board, the CEO, everyone recognizes how critical this is to success, whether you're in, you know, in finance and manufacturing and in, in travel and aerospace. So what is it, Maya, if you could just give us a little bit of context, because I, my, my sense is so often there's, there's a lot of executive and leadership focus on, on, on transforming. But somehow IT stays as the long pole in the tent, right? IT remains the bottleneck. So something different happened here. And, it, and I think it has a lot to do with your approach to leadership. And, and maybe we should just jump straight into the fact that you bring in finance on board and treating them as a friend, not a foe. That actually is a success pattern I've seen elsewhere. But how did you sort of unblock the leadership team at, at American Airlines to think the right way? about IT, about innovation, about software. Because so often, I think, in many other organizations, again, the desire's there, the strategy's there, but there's no ability to execute because they, they haven't taken that, that right set of steps that you started a few years ago. Yeah, that's a great question. You know, it's uh, it's true that to, to stop being the long pole in the tent, you know, the answer couldn't be just okay, everybody work harder or pedal faster because, you know, the, everybody was already pedaling as fast as they could. So we really had to do things differently. And, you know, we'd all read about stuff like DevOps and product journeys and cloud and MVP concepts and things like that. But we'd all read about it sort of in the context of companies like Spotify and Google and things like that. We thought, well, that's, you know, of course they should be doing it. They were born in the cloud. But you know, then we started seeing names that and logos that looked a lot more like ours, like Capital One and Target. And suddenly it was like, oh, I bet they have a few legacy mainframes hanging around. You know, we can't we, we had to stop making excuses for why we couldn't do it. But I knew for sure that we couldn't do it under our old funding model. You know, we, we had something that was like straight out of a Dilbert cartoon where, you know, nothing happened without finances approval. Everything got the same scrutiny, whether it was like one of our top corporate priorities, you know, we had, you know, projects that were approved, but no headcount to do them. You know, it's like we had literally had projects that were completed before they were approved. And so, like, I mean, it was so it was so ludicrous that even finance knew that this model needed to change. And so we actually went up and visited Target. And we brought our finance colleagues with us. And that, I think, was a really a real turning point for them. You know, you can read all of the articles you want, but once you see another company who's doing it, doing it successfully, and you see other, you know, sort of your colleagues at another company who have been willing to make the change and, and haven't lost, you know, the, the security, the control that they, that I think finance organizations often fear that they will lose and in some ways are actually gaining more control through this process or more certainty. I think once they saw that, they really took over and ran with it. You know, we didn't really have to tell them anything. And they they came up with sort of this new model, uh, essentially a product funding approach that we're utilizing today. Okay, that that's fascinating. So you actually literally brought finance <laughs> on board by putting them on a plane and, and, and taking them with you to Target. Yeah, we took like I want to say it was like 25 people up to Target. <laughs> and we went multiple times. Um, and we brought our business colleagues. We brought our design people. We brought, it wasn't just IT people. And, and our finance colleagues came with us as well. And I think that was a really eye-opening experience for them. Well, I, what was cool to see the outcome of that too, Maya hit on this briefly, but they led creating the model then. It wasn't you know, it wasn't IT trying to design the model and giving finance to buy off on it. They they took ownership and they created the model. 
And you know, what was really cool is that once they created it, like other companies started calling them, like they became sort of the poster children for, you know, modern finance practices in an agile world. And that was, you know, that was really gratifying for them. And I was really proud of, proud of them. That, that's amazing. It reminds me of the story. So I actually do relate the story in, in the Project to Product book of uh, when Boeing was making a shift. This, this was the 777. And the 777 was the first plane that was all fly-by-wire. All you know, It was just, just a software experience. So they kind of did the opposite. The leaders of those of, you know, of the 777 decided that all software engineers, yeah, engineers should be on board for the maiden flight of the plane. And that, that completely changed the game, right? Because everyone was you know, part of the same team, literally in their case, on the same plane. And in your case, I guess, on the same plane. <laughs> <laughs> Good metaphor. Yeah. <laughs> And it, it just completely changed the dynamic. But yeah, that part of the story, that's that, that's just fascinating. So they actually, they were celebrated as kind of, you know, leaders in, in their industry. That, that absolutely reminds me to when in the lean manufacturing era, right? When finance adapted to how to understand and measure value in manufacturing, that completely changed things, right? They, they became part of the journey. And I didn't realize the degree to which they actually supported your journey here. So if we could dig a bit more into that, because again, I think that it's so key to the conditions and the, that, that you set up to make this successful. And so often we do see other parts of the organization which are really important to, you know, they, they want, in the end, finance wants visibility, right? The PMO wants visibility. They want to know if something's off track. They want to know if, if for whatever the reason, maybe, you know, the technical debt is too high in this uh, part of your, your software architecture that does still have mainframe. We, we see these things regularly or, or, you know, some infrastructure that's, that's still dated. They want to know that more investment is needed there. So fundamentally, I think what you notice is that they're aligned and supporting you on the journey. They just, they just, a lot of finance organizations have not adapted to understanding software products and, and these IT value streams. So how, just how did you kick it off with them or did you just throw it to them saying, well, please tell us, how, how did you actually catalyze this? Yeah, I think their initial going in assumption is that IT was like, drunk and disorderly, you know, like we, we needed some, you know, we spent too much time at the bar, we were throwing money around and they needed, we needed some adult supervision. And that was kind of the, the attitude at first, which obviously didn't get us off to a great start. But what it led to was them saying, hey, listen, we have a lot of visibility into like that 30 or 40% of your spend that you would you know, classify as grow because you have, you need Mm -hmm. our approval for all these projects, but that, you know, 60 or 70% that you're calling run, you know, that's a black box, you know, how much, you know, how much do these capabilities that we have, how much are they costing us? You know, like we, like, for example, one of our products is the gate and boarding experience. So, you know, all of the technology and all of the effort and processes that go into making boarding the plane, a, a good process. And they'd say, well, you know, Let's figure out all of the systems that are involved in that and put a cost to that and understand really what that that's costing us and how much should we be investing there? Is that an area where we should continue to invest or not? And so I think that got whether they wanted the visibility because they felt like we weren't being good stewards of the company's money or whether they wanted it, you know, for whatever reason, it was a good thing because what it exposed is a lot of really interesting questions about where we should be investing. And that's what really led to this idea of creating our product taxonomy and really assigning, you know, self-contained and self-sustaining teams to these products that um, had the autonomy to have a set of funding and basically utilize their backlog to determine what is the 
effort that's the next greatest value that will make that product awesome. Okay, excellent. And did they get any kind of quick wins out of it? Like, were they happy that I know there were you know, shorter approval cycles? They had to do fewer reallocations. I've seen that one as something that, that finance, when they shift from this product tracking to, to more product model, did were there any key wins that they were celebrating or that, that you were celebrating? I think they realized that the model was broken. It was a, in large part, a rubber stamp. Like what I used to call it is it's right. a model designed to make you give up. You know, but ultimately, if you were willing to take the journey, if you were willing to climb that mountain and then the number, the, the next mountain that the, was put up after that mountain, then you would get approval. I mean, essentially, everything was just an endurance test. But if you endured, you got, you know, it got approved. And that made them feel like, you know, well, this is just sort of like a rubber stamp process. And so because they didn't say no to anything, it was more just a self-selecting out of the process that led some things not to be funded. And nobody wants to feel like that, you know, that's my job. And so I think they recognized that there was a greater calling for their, you know, for their profession, for their, for their expertise. Yeah. And I, I think my hit on this, but I think the, the financial transparency was a big win for them too, and that they did get full visibility into all of the costs in IT and not just what we were calling our grow costs, which is what we're getting the previous project investment model being applied to, whereas run costs were kind of that hidden black box. That was all now fully transparent for each product, so you could see it. Yeah, I mean, that, that seems like a really big deal for I'm sure a lot of organizations listening, which is transparency into, into the run box. That's pretty compelling. So, okay. It's and most it, of the spend for a technology organization. Yep. So it's good to have transparency into that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and again, it, it just very quick value. And I get, but very, very smart, I think, in, in how you approach them taking the, taking a leadership position in that. And so, Maya, you hit on a couple of key things in terms of the taxonomy and the roles and, Ross, I think you've done, again, I'd like to point people to the white paper that we collaborated on, the, the foreign paper of the project to product transformation, where you actually outlined a lot of that taxonomy, a lot of how to think conceptually about these roles. And then you've actually got this all running in practice and sort of validated yet again. So can you tell us a bit about how you think about... and because. So many organizations, I find that they try to you know, boil the ocean in terms of the product taxonomy. I think you know, you and I did have a long discussion about how you had ideal conditions and target to be able to move really quickly. You somehow, you know, I think Maya and you recreated these ideal conditions to move American Airlines so quickly. But tell us, you know, what needs to align in terms of these things: the financial support, nailing enough of the taxonomy without boiling the entire ocean, and then having the you know the right kind of organizational structure without, let's say, needing to do an entire full reorg to get there, or or just what things had to align in these in these sort of spheres of taxonomy, of workforce, of of funding, and the roles. Yeah. Well, first referencing that one one of the papers you and I collaborated on, I think the. Stages I tend to think about transformation like this is kind of this incubate stage scaling and optimizing. And I'm a big fan of start small and test small. And I think the incubate stage is usually where you do that, where you're and, and American Airlines, we did that here even before I joined. We had, you know, a handful of product teams and kind of early adopter organizations that were out kind of tip of the spear figuring this stuff out. And you know, some of the, they were doing some of the more heavy collaboration with Target and, and going a little bit further down the path of restructuring themselves around 
around products. You know, when I joined here, we were largely in the scaling stage. And I mean, that's that's the conversation Maya and I was ha- having, which is, all right, we've got a lot of good momentum. Everyone, everyone's bought in where this isn't coming in and do a sales job. This is, we got to execute at scale. So let's figure out how we're going to do that. That's a fun stage. That's where I've, I like to spend my time. And, you know, at that stage, it does start to get bigger. You do need to figure out your taxonomy. You do have to start making broader sweeping changes like a funding model. Uh, and you've got to get teams restructured around the new roles and team structures and ways of working to even deliver in this model. And that's, I mean, that's the stage we've been in, you know, probably a little bit before I joined and then definitely the last year I've been here. I think, you know, the other thing I would say in terms of like the conditions and and what conditions have to be there, you're right. You and I did have an interesting side conversation a year or so ago on like all these interesting conditions that seem to be in place for a large retailer back six, seven years ago. Competitive, you know, the competitive situation, the security breach situation, the, the, of all the changing leadership, there was just a lot of things that happened all at once that created an environment that I think change happened quickly. And, you know, different industry, airlines is different, but we, we've got our own set of conditions. I think, you know, the a pandemic is a, a tough thing for an airline. It's tough for a lot of companies, but it's definitely created an environment where, you know, I think you can be more bold about change and experimenting on things. I think the most important thing that you have to have is leadership that's totally bought in all the way up and down. And the fact that that Doug, our CEO, talks about this stuff and is in tune with what we're doing with delivery transformation and, and is a champion for it, I think says a lot about where we're at as a company. But I think, you know, I think having leadership bought in, I think getting the getting the business really connected in, in addition to the technology organization. These are things I see here that have been really, really awesome to me. And as much as we're still driving a change and there's challenges associated with driving change in any company, I feel like we're like we're well down a path that I think a lot of other companies struggle with because they don't have some of these things in place. Now, I actually want to make that one concrete because one of the things that that, that really struck me from your talk is, is the story, and this is a pandemic story, right, of delivering touchless kiosks in six weeks. Mm-hmm. And and just how if you could just touch on that because the the OKRs and the fact that you know you, you were then able to report this really significant boarding pass scan to you know to key, key kiosk session uh, how, and MVP which you redefined I think as a, what is it maximum viable product see clearly this <laughs> there was, can you take us through that touchless kiosk story because again you, you had you clearly had a lot of the right kind of product mindset and structure in place a way to experiment really quickly but the all that matters in the end is, is this result, right? The fact that IT was able to deliver an entirely new solution in six weeks, which for a lot of organizations at the time, that's not what happened. So, yeah. so how how did you pull this off? Well, I, and Mike can jump in as well if she wants. But I think what was interesting here is, you know, a touchless kiosk experience becomes even more important in a pandemic. Your customers don't want to have to touch devices, and we already had a touchless check-in experience, except when you needed to check bags that required you to then now have to interact with the kiosk. And I think what was cool is that, you know, the the leaders around that product space set the the goal, they set the outcome on what they were trying to achieve, and they set a key result around it. And really, that's where they focused, is making it clear to the team what we needed to get accomplished. And the team was able to mobilize very quickly. I mean, they started doing some design sessions, had like MVP solution identified very, very quickly. 
uh, and getting to a point where you could start to roll that out across a large scale organization like this. I mean, we have kiosks in a lot of airports. It was really cool to see us do it in six weeks and, and they actually blew the KR out of the water too. I think the key result was that we wanted to see a 25% increase in boarding pass scans and 25% increase in prepaid bag functionality. And we actually, in six weeks, saw 145% increase in boarding pass scans to start the kiosk session. So we we actually blew the OKR out of the water. Uh, we actually had a 57% increase in the use of prepaid bag functionality too. The other thing is it actually reduced the session time, which when you think about the customer experience, that's one thing that you're really always trying to do is simplify that engagement point. And so reducing the session time that you have to spend in the kiosk uh, was a really big win with that as well. Okay, and Mike, I'm going to switch to you right now because you, you said, but still on this thread, you said something I think so important is that, and I've seen this over and over, you know, someone looks at the Spotify model, they look at some, you know, how some uh, tech giant has is doing things on stage, but what's different, and then they try to emulate that. And I think one of the common threads I see with these successful transformations is that your approach to actually measuring and managing to value and I think what we just heard Ross say is how clear Valley was to, to everybody in terms of what they were delivering with those touchless kiosks, how urgent it was, uh, and, and their ability to actually over overperform on that. So you talked a bit about your approach of inputs, outputs, and outcome. And fundamentally, you know, everything I've been doing around, around measuring control, around the flow framework, it's it's really fundamentally about that. How how tell us how you think about that, how you think about actually making sure that all uh, in the end, all delivery, IT delivery, is connected to that business outcome and you create that that much more rapid feedback loop. Yeah. You know, one thing that's been really beneficial about the pandemic is it's given us a real clarity of vision. And so when you have that you know, when it's super clear about what you need to go and do, that's that's very helpful. And I think that was the guiding principle around touchless kiosks. We had to do this. We had to do it quickly. Uh, and as a result, the team really lived all of the fundamentals around the product model. Small MVP leaders weren't getting in the way of the team. They were attending playbacks if they wanted a status. You know, the team really was empowered to do it. So it was, it was a really lovely story all around. As far as incomes, uh, inputs, outputs and outcomes, it's been, that's sort of been the the story of our maturity. You know, I would say early on in our journey, we, one of our, one of the things that we were measuring was how many people went to agile training. You know, that was like, you know, a real, I would put that in the input classification where, you know, of course people have to be trained in agile. You know, the next year it was, how many teams actually improved the maturity? You know, we had this scale in which we were measuring, you know, agile maturity by one, one step. And so that fell sort of more into the outputs. Okay, it wasn't just that we were doing the work, we were actually getting better at the work. And then, you know, by the third year, we had thrown out an agile metric per se completely. And now we were saying, what is our the, the key result for this product team? What is the outcomes that we want to see? Because that's really what we need to be measuring against. The, the inputs are still important. People still need training. The outputs are still important. We still need to measure, you know, our deployment frequency, our delivery cycle cycle time, our MTTR. But at the end of the day, what we need to measure ourselves on and whether we're getting better and how to make decisions about what we do next has to be outcomes related to our objectives and our key results. Yeah, I, I just could not agree more. I think that this pattern of success that I see that, that, that you've put in place here is basically connecting flow of value to, to objectives and key results. 
And, yeah. and that's exactly what, and it doesn't have to be OKRs necessarily. I personally use them. A lot of organizations like yours have adopted them because it's, a, it's, it's well enough defined and has been successful technology and provides that kind of cascading that works well for product models and programs. But yeah, whatever it is, in the end, it's about making sure that investment in, in technology actually drives those outcomes. So, so you successfully did this. You, you reorganize around products, which you know, it's actually that's some effort in defining this, how you do that. You did the interesting thing of is that you actually mentioned some failures, Maya, where where things did not go as planned. I think it, it seems like someone, a story I remember is uh someone misunderstood the concept of two pizza teams and and I think you were pursuing 12 pizza teams for a while. So can you just tell us a little bit about some of the missteps? Because again, that you're sharing those learnings, I think is is just so valuable. Yeah, I mean, we I mean we had so many setbacks. And even still today, I mean, you make it sound like we've totally arrived, which we absolutely haven't. This is definitely we still have have missteps and we still have things that we're, you know, that aren't going perfectly that we aren't proud of. So it's by no means have we cracked the nut. But like early on, you know, we said, okay, there's gonna be one product owner per product. And then we like put the list together and and there was like four product owners per product because there were so many teams that felt invested in that product and they felt like they were the owner and they didn't want to give up any control and they wanted to be called the owner. We had issues where, yeah, like we wanted to be in these small two pizza teams, but there were so many people involved that like, you know, I joke around that at our first, you know, at our first two pizza team meeting, we ate 12 pizzas because that's how many people we, we weren't able to get it down any smaller. You know, we had a really important meeting early on and like you know we invited all of these stakeholders to come and like you know we invited like 25 people and six people showed up and three of them were from my organization you mentioned the the thing about mvp you know early on we were oh there's this great new concept we're going to do this really small sliver of work it's called the mvp and our business partner said what we don't want the minimum you know you can say the words you know the letters mvp the acronym's okay but the m has to stand for maximum because we want the most that you can deliver, not the least. And so uh, so there were a lot of setbacks along the way, and we learned a lot. We all learned a lot. And it's just a journey of continual improvement. We want to be the best at getting better. Yeah, and I think that that is such a key point, right? Because the, one of the things I, when I hear that I worry about the most is when like, someone's got like a, a, basically a project plan for a transformation journey that's got a very clear end date, right? That there's there's nothing uh, more worrying than that. The, the last guest I had on the podcast, Brian Solis, he's a, the, the futurist, that, that stud, an anthropologist actually, that studies digital transformation, just, just fascinating person. And yeah, he says the, the key thing that now has to happen is that this year has to be the end of the two-year or three-year transformation. This is a this is a continuous journey. And it's it's exactly, I think, the mindset that you approach it with, that we're, we're never done. This this is never done. This is just, date, you know, and, and I think in your case, in a lot of good cases, it's just a data-driven uh, and leader-supported su- continuous improvement, right? Technologies will change, the market will change, organizations change, and I think you've put in place the sort of learning organization that's that's able to adapt to this, even though I realize you think you still have... <laughs> there's, there is just always a long way to go. Yeah. So so tell, well, I guess then tell us what I think in terms of for 2021, are there specific things that, that you're focused on in terms of the, the, the next steps in your journey? And maybe uh, Maya, you go first and, and then Ross, you can follow. You know, it's it's just a continuum of, of maturity. We have teams that I would say are really knocking it out of the park and are just 
really amazing themselves at what they're able to accomplish. And for those teams, they need to get better. And then I'm sure that there are teams that are still saying like, okay, what is DevOps? And so we've got a lot of people that, you know, we still need, they're still at the very beginning of this journey. It's a big organization and there's a lot of different areas and a lot of different types of systems that we're dealing with and everybody's sort of adapting to, to what, you know, where they are in that journey and what their needs are. You know, this is going to be a really fascinating year in terms of if you look in the crystal ball, all of the changes that have happened over the last year as a result of COVID, which are the ones that are going to stick and which are the ones that are going to sort of snap back to the way they were pre-pandemic. And so we'd spend a lot of time thinking about that and how we should prepare ourselves. Okay, great. And Ross, anything that, that's kind of top of mind for you? I, you know, I think Maya hit it well that when you've got a company this large and you've got literally hundreds of, of product teams, people are at very different stages on the journey. So there's a lot of focus on enablement this year and enabling leaders and teams kind of based on where they're at in their journey on, on how we can get more focused on how they continue to improve. But I would say to me, there's kind of two themes that we're focused on with our, our transformation program right now. I mean, one I would say is how we're driving product mindset across our business. You know, this is... I would say last year and uh, starting last year when we switched the funding model, it really was a big step in terms of bringing more of the business more into this. And with that, it just it increases the net that you have to cast in terms of getting out and helping people understand what product model is and what product mindset is and how do you plan and prioritize in this way? And you know how do you empower your teams differently in this way? And so there's that's a big focus for us. And then another one, which we actually didn't talk about a lot in our in our summit talk, but it's really cool stuff, and it's probably something that we'll we'll share a little bit more on moving forward. But what we're doing to really focus on our developer experience within the technology organization as well, and so we've been, you know, obviously with DevOps and cloud and a lot of the different kind of technical aspects of our transformation, those are really critical enablers to not only improving the cost and efficiency of IT, but but improving the, the developer experience, the people that are building software. And we've actually been building out a platform that we call Runway, airline themed, of course. And it's it's based off of Spotify's backstage open source product, but we've been collaborating a lot on that project and uh, building that platform out. We've got pretty big plans for that platform this year in terms of getting more functionality there and getting more of our... Um, building and delivering of our different technology here, going through that platform moving forward. It's pretty cool. It's an inner source model. We've, we've got a lot of different teams internally contributing to it. It's not just one team. It creates kind of a marketplace approach so that teams can share their own, their own templates for how you're going to use their products and services to deliver technology, which has been a lot of fun. But that gets kind of deeper into the engineering side of the transformation, uh, which wasn't necessarily what we were focused on in the summer last fall. Yeah, that's great to hear. I absolutely see that as a key path on that journey, right? Which is that the development platforms themselves, they are a key product, right? They're what makes every one of your teams more productive. You've got the patterns of the teams who are moving faster. You know, for all of us, it's a continuum, right? And it's it's just about elevating the work, the work of all the teams and making the dev platforms themselves a first-class product is I, I think is a it's just a, a key step to that. So and can you tell me a little bit more? We haven't talked about this yet, but the, again, the the leader talk aspect is and how things as as you 
you know, go through this and you look at this here, you're looking at influencing more of the business, more leaders and, you know, leaders throughout the organization. How do you approach celebrating these victories? Because I think, and this is my interesting thing about these continuums, right? I think you've got this, this, there's something about your approach to uh, celebrating the successes that you've created, because that's, you know, that's the way that we scale these successes, right? To see how well, you know, how successful those kiosks were as an example. And you're able to, you're doing that internally and externally, which is, which is amazing. And then, there's, there is, I think, a, a, a key thing here I'd like you to touch on as well, which is that you've you've brought very senior leadership to help you celebrate those successes, right? You've got you've got Doug Parker, who's actually uh, you said you know the chairman of the company, cheerleading this effort. How have you done that, and and what's how has it changed the way that leadership approaches technology? Wow, that's a that's a big question. Um, I think that you know we we've been fortunate to have sponsorship and lead and and support from Doug and from other senior leaders because they see the results. They see that, you know, it's not just me who's standing up there saying, hey, look how much faster we delivered, you know, touchless kiosk. You know, our business partners are standing up and saying that, you know, I want more of that. And so that's what really drives the enthusiasm and the support is, you know, is seeing sort of the the impact of it. So that's been really instrumental in terms of, of ensuring that we have the support and that we can celebrate the successes. Yeah, we, we do a ton of celebrating and, uh, and making sure that people recognize that, you know, even improvements of, we had teams that were delivering maybe three times a year because uh, it was an old product or we didn't want to have too many changes for our business partners at any one time. And when they moved to six times a year, that was a huge celebration. I mean, that's, you know, they've doubled their deployment frequency. So um, it's it's really uh, those kinds of things, recognizing them, pulling them out and, and having an opportunity to celebrate them, make them visible, and then engender the kind of support that that kind of success breeds. And when the interesting thing I've noticed with, with both of you is that in your approach to celebration and, and to success, it just always seems to me like whenever I hear you speak is that that you're actually having fun. And and this is a it's it's a I've noticing it obviously on this podcast as well. But I think you know there's something to that. I just uh, I remember when it was I think it was five years ago where I added have fun to the core values at Taskstop. I just tacked on <laughs> this this really short value at the end, and it actually is one of the things that drove me to add happiness as a metric as one of the metrics of happiness and engagement of staff. At what how do you do it? Because you know we've just been through some incredibly difficult times for the airline industry. You've been the, the kind of complexity that you work with, the size of the transformation. You know I've, I've seen organizations just buckle under the change management. What, how do you keep having fun throughout this, this given what, how challenging and complex what you're doing is? Yeah, I totally agree with you. Uh, you know, if fun has to be one of your guiding principles, we all spend way too much time at work yeah. to <laughs> not have it be fun. You know, we're doing a an all hands meeting, you know, virtual meeting in a, next week, and we're you know looking for memes and other things to insert. Because you know, you can't ask people to sit there for ninety minutes and just download information from you. You know, one way as you talk at them on a screen, um, it's got to be engaging, and we got to sort of dig deep and figure out how to be engaging in this environment. Ross and his team, you know, we've developed this delivery transformation steering committee, you know, and that sounds mm-hmm. awful. Nobody wants to be on a on a steering committee. And so they went back and they thought about it and they came up with a couple of cool names. And the one that they selected ultimately was the snow removal team. So these are the guys that are going around removing all the snow so that the cars can get through without a lot of friction. And, um, and it's lovely. And in the last meeting, in the last team meeting, 
the last page was these pictures of snowballs. And inside the snowball was like a problem that the team was having that they wanted the, the, the group to help them solve. For example, hey, listen, your team members are coming and they're submitting these really weak OKRs because they're afraid that if they do a really challenging KR and they don't meet it, that somehow that's going to impact their funding or their performance review or something like this. So you as leaders need to go out there and explain that that's not what's going to happen. And it was like inside this snowball and it was really, really cute. And so just little things like that just make it make it make it way more fun that's awesome yeah one thing i would add you know i think maya does a really good job of creating a fun environment here and before i joined like one thing that i observed even when i was thinking about joining was like the, the leadership team maya's leadership team and how closely they all worked and how much they support each other and i mean they were sometimes two of them were interviewing me and they're like poking fun at each other during the interview, you know, and I'm like, Oh, this is, this is kind of interesting. And it's cool to see senior leaders at that level, not taking themselves too seriously and creating kind of a, a fun and engaging environment. And so I saw that from the outside looking in and I was like, Oh, that's really cool. I want to join that. And, and since I've been here, it's been, that is how, how the leadership team here operates. And and there's so many, if you want to talk about making things fun, like when we do these all hands, like these random weird things will show up, like someone wearing a rooster costume, you know, showing up in the all hands content that's, you know, one of the leaders has, you know, clearly has photos about all the rest of us that go back years and can pull those out whenever he wants just to, to kind of mix things up with us. But there's a lot of videos and a lot of different activities that have happened over the years where you see this leadership team supporting each other and having kind of self-deprecating fun so that their their team sees that they're having fun. And I think it helps our teams loosen up and have a lot of fun too. By the way, there's one other shift uh, or not shift, but one other thing I wanted to highlight. While fun isn't called out directly as one of our values, one thing we've worked a lot on are, is kind of realigning what we think our culture, our values are here in IT. And we we really simplified it this year down to three core things, passion, accountability, and selflessness. Hmm. When I think about things like passion and selflessness, I can definitely see how fun permeates through those things. And I think it, you know, by us living those, those values, we, we do end up having a lot of fun in our environment. Yeah. And that's just amazing. That That's, I think that, yeah, those values are, I think in my mind, they're, they're bang on. And uh, it is it is amazing how much it changes the the narrative and the context for the teams, right? The, the snowballs. Uh, it was this was happened uh, in our organization a, a month ago, where some of our teams were, you know, the work that our teams do is just so complex, right? And there's always something that can make their work and their, their day easier. So one of our executives created this initiative called the Effort Day, and I said, well, <laughs> "What we're going to call? We can't call these swear words in in our company initiatives, but it was spelled E F F." And then everyone would, they would just, it was like this, they would do something that they would automate some piece of frustration they had out of their day, right? So, so they would like get an hour back from their day or their colleague's day. That selflessness, I think is, a, is such a great point, Ross. And it was just such a great thing because they all tackled different things. It was a bit like a hackathon type day, but but it was strictly around, you know, getting that friction out and so that we would have you know, more joy in. And yeah, the I you know, we, we now have an effort day. <laughs> I love so. that. That's awesome. I think we need to adopt that. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, HR did, did kind of wonderful. We had a really quick discussion whether we should go with that, calling it that. Maybe you'll come up with some. But yeah, no, there's, I think if we're having fun, we can, we can do yeah, this. Yeah, go, so, go for it. Go yeah. for it. 
But okay, I, I mean, that was just so inspirational. Thank you both so much. Anything else you want to leave us with? But I think that, you know, your approach, your philosophy, your leadership is, is exactly what we need to see more of. So uh, uh, anything else you want to want to leave our listeners with? You know, I'll just uh, give a huge shout out to my entire organization. I just have the the greatest team and the greatest leaders, and they've all been willing to embrace this. And it hasn't been easy. And um, and they've really they have persevered in a way that sometimes, even when I had some doubts about whether this was really the right direction to go, they they stayed the course and they brought me along. And um, and I I just owe them an enormous amount of appreciation and thanks. And I'm just so proud to get to work with them. And I'll just add the shameless uh, hiring plug that we always need more awesome <laughs> good, talent good, to, do it, do it. Yes. <laughs> to help us on our journey. So for all of you that are listening to Mix Podcast. Uh, yeah, it's really, yeah, it's really yeah clearly an amazing fun. and fun okay. place to work exactly yeah, <laughs> yeah. and uh, we won't put you in a rooster costume <laughs> okay excellent thank you both so much that was amazing we'll point people to the American Airlines hiring page so in the, <laughs> in the materials <laughs>A huge thank you to both Maya and Ross for joining me on this episode. For more, follow me and my journey on LinkedIn, Twitter, or using the hashtags MidPlusOne or Project to Product. You can reach out to Maya and Ross on LinkedIn. I have a new episode every two weeks, so hit subscribe to join us again. You can also search for Project to Product to get the book. And remember that all of our proceeds go to supporting women and minorities in technology. Thanks, stay safe, and until next time.